podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the AI Extra Transfer Rumor Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and joining me is my co-host, Tadiwa. Tadiwa, how are you doing today, man? Hey, Justin. Not too bad in yourself? I'm doing all right. Um, I guess the first thing I want to ask you this week, and it's not really transfer-related, is, um, you know, just so everybody can know when we're recording this, England has just uh, beaten Panama 6-1. to Can you recall a situation where a striker has had less a less impactful hat trick in your life? I was trying to think of one, um, but I'm struggling, especially in a World Cup context. I think it, it, it's quite a fortunate hat trick. And But Kane, I think he's very good at being in the right place at the right time, but I think this took it to the extremes and, and the fact that it's two penalties and a... Um, you know, and a, and a quite a wicked deflection. So um, I don't think so. But hey, uh, as long as they went in, I think that was the the crucial thing for for England. Hey, yeah, I think. And uh, as I was telling you before this, Panama uh, today, the effort that they put forward and just seeing them play did nothing but create immense anger in me because that was the team that got the third Concacaf spot instead of the U.S. Um, the U.S. have nothing but themselves to blame. And it's gonna rankle me for the next, you know, four years that, uh, that I watched a World Cup where the quality of play was so poor and the U.S. actually could have done something if they could have gotten out of their own way in qualification. <laughs> They're so bad. But, uh, this is a transfer rumor podcast and we are gonna talk some transfer rumors, but we're also doing it during the World Cup. And we're gonna get into a little bit of how some, uh, some Liverpool players are, are looking. So, uh, I guess first, uh, Brazil has played two games for me, with a cameo in the first game. And then actually, I feel like he changed the game against, uh, Costa Rica. Do you, do you feel the same way, Tadiwa? I think for both games, in fact, uh, you could see that Brazil, they, they seem to be struggling in that final third in, ter- in terms of just linking everything together. I mean, the, the, they've got the players, they've got, um, They've got some good build up, some solid play, but that just that final little uh, bit of magic, so to speak, it, it seemed like it was what was missing. You know, as Liverpool fans, we we were kind of then obviously saying, well, if you're missing something like that, then Firmino is the perfect guy for you. But uh, hearing Tite's comments uh, after the game, especially, you can hear that Firmino is not a player that he's used to, and he, he's not a player he's seen a lot of, so to speak, because he he was still sort of insinuating that he still needs to well that that he's learning new things about Firmino each and every day. So I think Firmino is just one of those players that's very unorthodox, especially if you if you're looking at you know the the position the position of striker, uh, especially a position of striker for Brazil. That's quite a you know they put heavy weight on that position, and he's a very unorthodox striker. So I think maybe there was a bit of you know, uh, fear in trying to, you know, put someone like that instead of a recognized striker. 
But it will be interesting to see what happens in the next game, considering that back-to-back games he's had quite an impact. Yeah, it feels like, for me, the thing that's been missing from Brazil's play when he's not there is someone who can create space for others. And players like Neymar, Gabriel Jesus, uh, Douglas Costa, and you know Philippe Coutinho, as we know, they all are players who could use someone like that to do a little bit of the dirty work and things between the lines to get them into space. And Firmino really seems to do that for this team. I mean, obviously there's the goal in Friday's game, but how did uh, seeing, uh, you know, with a, with a great touch from Gabriel Jesus in the middle, how did it feel again to see Bobby Firmino and Philippe Coutinho link up? Did, did it bring back some memories? <laughs> yeah, it definitely brought back some memories. And I think... I'm I'm one of those guys that I think I just will always enjoy watching Coutinho play regardless of what what transpired towards the end of his Liverpool career because he, he's such a you know magician as as the Liverpool players sort of nicknamed him. Um he he's very very technically good on the ball and it seems like um you know he he's obviously very good friends with Firmino. They enjoy playing with each other. Um watching Coutinho in this role I think it's 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 stuff we've all seen him do at Liverpool and I think this is a good role for him in the sense of all the all the attention's going to be on the Neymars and maybe the Marcelos. And Coutinho's one of those he's a really good facilitator, sort of like in the Modric mold of when you put good players around him, he can help, you know, transfer the ball between players really, really well. And obviously we've seen he's now added that that um out of the box shot um into his into his repertoire. So he's coming up to be quite an accomplished player. It's just unfortunate that um, he left us, but, you know, uh, he wanted to go. He's gone. I think we can move on from him. Um, in terms of the relationship, I'm sure they'll be enjoying playing together again because they are still really good friends. I doubt this this move to Barcelona has impacted their friendship too much. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it has. And I'm, I'm with you. I'll enjoy watching him play. I don't love how he left. I don't think any Liverpool supporter really does. But, uh, you know, during the World Cup, I'm going to choose not to focus on it because I actually, uh, you know, bet some money on this brilliant team to win. So, uh, <laughs> nice. I would like to, I would like to see that bet, you know, pay out. Uh, but, you know, they're not, for Bobby Firmino is not the only player who's, uh, having a noteworthy World Cup here. Um, Dejan Lovren and Croatia look to be, right now, I think Croatia's looked the best of any team in the tournament. And I think a lot of it's down to just that, that midfield is just so incredibly dominant with, uh, particular Luka Modric, uh, just controlling games. And I mean, Rakitic and Brozovic aren't, you know, slouches and then they could break Mateo Kovacic off the bench. Um, that's a lot of protection for Lovren, uh, you know, with and without the ball. But how, how have you, uh, just, you know, seen him and thought he's performed so far? Yeah, I think he hasn't put a foot wrong. And we've seen shades of this Lovren throughout mostly the second half of the season. You could even argue as soon as uh, that Spurs game was done back in October, November time, um, he, he's really sort of stepped up his game. Um, I think, he, as, as you mentioned, he does have quite a lot of protection in that Croatia team. But in, in, in saying that, he's holding his own. It's not like um, they're carrying him, so to speak. He's He's quite a pivotal part of that defense and I think he is look I think he'll always have that stigma of oh no like he's got one of those games in him type thing and I don't I don't know if he'll ever be able to shake that off and uh hashtag cheap plug um I did write an article 
you know, sort of speaking about this and his form and uh, sort of what we can do moving forward. Um, so it's on AI. Anyone can go check it out. But um, we can always do plugs at the end. I think he 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 seems like a confidence player. When he's confident, he seems to play well. And I think especially when he's not being asked to do way too much, you know, it, with Van Dyke coming in, um, Lovren no longer has to be the voice at the back. So he just has to focus on his job. And I think it's the same in, uh, for the Croatia team. He's not the voice at the back. He just needs to focus on his job, just defend well, you know. And I think if we keep the game simple for him, he seems to seems to do well. What do, what do you think? I think he, I think he's been good. I, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily agree with the put one foot wrong. He, he did make one mistake that wasn't punished in the Argentina game, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he's a central okay, defender. Yeah. Defenders make like everybody makes they make mistakes. But I think I think he's been mostly good. Uh, I think it's just a, you know silencing that Argentine attack is really really difficult. But there's also the you know the fun part of the fact that uh, Jorge Sampioli is really just ma- ma- you know not manufacturing anything tactically to create space for Messi or make anybody's life easier. Like there's just so many baffling decisions he's making that I don't think that he put much pressure on Croatia just tactically. But I also think that Lovren's dealt with everything that's come his way. So I'm going to, I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's playing well. Um, Croatia look good and I, and I wish him well, but I don't know that I've learned. I, I don't think that we're, we're going to learn anything new about Dejan Lovren in this yeah. World Cup. And I don't think we should be using it as a measuring stick for him, but he's looked good, and I hope he continue, and I hope it gives him confidence and he plays well. Because regardless of what anybody thinks, and you know, getting to the transfer rumor aspect of this, I don't think Lovren's going anywhere this summer. So I'd rather have him confident and, play, and you know, comfortable and playing at his best because I think that's you know, for Liverpool perspective, the best. Yeah, I agree with you there, and especially with the the fact that I don't think he's going anywhere either. I have a sneaky feeling that. You know, every manager has that one project player where, you know, everyone sort of says, how is he still in this team or sort of talks to that end. Yet the manager seems to back him. And for me, that player is Lovren for Klopp. I think Klopp's seen that there, there is a player in there and you can't deny that there's been a player in there. Whether now the mental side of it needs to catch up with maybe the physical attributes that he has, that's that's a debate for another day. But I think Klopp is, you know, he's convinced that he can t- turn him around or, or, or still make a quality centre-back still out of him. So it will be interesting to see as the years go by how, how he fares at Liverpool. But yeah, I agree. I, I don't see him leaving this summer. Speaking of another player who people will think of as a project for Klopp, although I don't think it's that because he was an established professional well upon Klopp's uh, coming there and the club captain at that point, Jordan Henderson played all 90 minutes for England today and actually had the armband for the last 30. I mean, we obviously spoke about the Harry Kane earlier and that, you know, bizarre hat trick. Uh, but how do you think Hendo did today? Uh, did, did, I mean, the, I guess the first question is, did he really have to do anything? Yeah, I suppose as the holding midfielder, he kind of needs them to be more attacking for him to really be be tested. But in terms of uh, spraying the ball around, dictating tempo, I think Liverpool have struggled with uh, sort of the dictating tempo part of it. But I think that's more when there's pressure on Liverpool than necessarily when when we have all the possession, sort of, especially in the home games. And I think Henderson does that job really well. Um, I'm, I'm still impressed, and he, sh- he showed it 
during this game. I'm still impressed with his lateral defending. He seems to do really well at, you know, covering um, co- covering that, that line at the halfway line, so to speak, if he's sitting just in front of the center backs and the other team is trying to break on the counter. He's very good at sort of shifting up along that line and just covering the fullbacks. Whichever fullback has been exposed, he seems to sort of uh, run across and cover that area. And in terms of distribution, I think it's one of those just um, myths that people create in terms of, oh, he only passes backwards. A lot of the time you can see it's actually tactical, the way he's doing those backwards passes. And I was one of the people that was judged him for that. But I've seen, I've tend to see more and more, it's a lot more of trying to shift the defense and waiting for that opportunity to, to then ping that one, you know, 60 yard pass across. And he seems to be doing that with more regularity. Um, I think he's becoming more familiar with it. We have to also remember the only reason he's playing such a deep role now is because of the injuries that have happened to him. So it's a new position he's had to learn. So I, I think he's growing. Um, another one that I think will still be in and around the squad next season. Yeah, and once again, it's another player I don't see us getting rid of. But, you know, just some numbers on Henderson today. One three of four tackles, seven ball recoveries, although I think ball recoveries are not the greatest stat of judging. He was 11 of 14 with passes in the attacking third. He completed 63 of his 72 passes. England won 6-1. to one. They had a lot of possession of the ball. He managed to melt maintain that. So anybody who's going to try to slaughter him off of this, I think, is just uh, pushing an agenda. He was, yeah. He, yeah. But, you know, we, I think, once again, he's another player who we know he is. He's not earth-shatteringly good, but he, he does his job. Um, other, so, you know, two of the, uh, the other two of the front three, we have Mani, Sadio Mane kicking off in about an hour's time. So, you know, we really ha- don't have much to judge him on except for the one game that Senegal played against Poland, where I thought Mane was very good and sparked the team. But then also Mo Salah will have his final game in the World Cup because Egypt obviously being eliminated. Uh, he'll have his final game against Saudi Arabia. He got his, he got his goal in his, uh, in his appearance, but I think it was also very clear to, you know, anybody watching that this Egypt side outside Salah is, um, really not up to snuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on the two of them? Um, in terms of Mane, yeah, I think we'll, we'll see a bit more of him later on, but just the whole Senegal team in general, I think they sort of, for me personally, they've been sort of the feel good factor of this World Cup. You've seen the dancing when they scored the goal. You've seen, I don't know if you saw the videos sort of circulating about yes, yesterday or today when they were, they're sort of singing during their warm up, uh, they had a stadium sort of training yesterday and they're sort of singing, dancing and just a whole jovial atmosphere. They seem like a, 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 a team that's really happy. Um, they've got dangerous players in there. Uh, they've got a good squad. I, I do hope they go far, you know, being of African descent. I, I think it would be great for an African team to really stamp some sort of authority. Um, in terms of Salah, look, it's, ju- it's just an unfortunate situation, really. I mean, any, any, you could imagine any kid dreams of, you know, leading their country to the World Cup. And that's pretty much what he was doing. He was the focal point of that team. And you can just imagine even the morale in the squad. They know he's, he's injured, so to speak. Um, so you can just imagine how a bit deflated they all are. And I just, it's a sad thing. I hope, you know, they make it again next time around and he's able to truly, you know, play whilst he's healthy and, and firing. Uh, from a Liverpool perspective, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if he's now going to have a, an extended break 
not just a you know you get the players that get their World Cup break that come from the World Cup, but with this injury, I wonder if, especially if we sort of sign the likes of uh, Fakir, who I'm sure we'll get onto a bit later on. Um, you, I think we can afford at the beginning of the season just to give Salah a little bit more time, just to fully recover from the injury, and then you know unleash him on the league. You know, maybe I don't know when it would be October, late September type. Um, I don't think we should rush him because it's going to be a long season and you don't want him to have to carry that injury the entire season. No, I happen to agree with you. And you know, let the shoulder heal because you don't want it to get worse. And the other thing, too, is I think that there's a lot of relief in him setting the record last year. He doesn't have to be, chas- he's not going to be chasing goals. It doesn't matter if he chases the uh, the golden boot again. You know, Harry, Harry Kane, you can have that. I'll take, we'll take the league. That's more fun. Uh but for going back to Senegal, one of the things that I read earlier this week that really annoyed me was that there was an ESPN article about, you know, teams that, you know, nations that have one star. And it was, uh, it's, it highlighted Senegal as like one of these one star, like, you know, one star nations, meaning Mane and then a bunch of other, you know, Mane and then nobody else of note. But that's really unfair because Keita Baldi plays at a really high level in Serie A. Koulibaly plays at a high level in Serie A. The, uh, Salutio plays at a high level in the Premier League. Like there are players in the Senegalese side that are playing top flight football at like you know a really high level, and I thought it was very insulting that it went that way. I was quite I was quite annoyed I was quite annoyed with it, and especially considering I am rooting for Senegal in this tournament. <laughs> nice, yeah. Um, I think also Didi plays for them as well. Hey, yes. So I think they've they've got quite a tidy team. They've even yeah. got Koulibaly at the back. I mean. Oof. As, as you've mentioned, some of the players, they, they've got a pretty tidy team. And I think going into this World Cup, there's so much pressure on the big teams. You know, if you look at the Frances of the world, you know, Germany sneaking through yesterday, there's a lot of teams who have a lot of pressure on them to, to do, to do a lot. Whereas Senegal, you know, you get the, 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 obviously their fans have expectation for them, but from a general football perspective, not, not many people are expecting much from them. So I think they actually have the freedom to go out there and play, you know, with, with that release and that freedom to play. And, and I'm hoping that they cause a few surprises. Yeah. I mean, it'd just be, it would just be nice to see like a feel good story. That's not the same four teams that have gone to, you know, France, Spain. Germany, Brazil. You'd like to see somebody else go deep than those than those teams, uh, and preferably have that team not be Belgium. But Ooh, yeah, um, well, I, I don't mind Belgium going far because uh, <laughs> I I look at them from from a purely Premier League perspective that a lot of our rivals have quite a few Belgian players in their squad. So if Belgium goes far, it means these guys are joining their squads a bit later on in the season. So I'm, I, I don't mind at all, actually, if, if they go far. You see, I, I actually, I was thinking about when I said it, but I actually don't mind if they go far too, because it means Lukaku scoring goals. And I like anything that involves showing up Jose Mourinho, which is, <laughs> you know, Lukaku scoring goals for club, for a country, but not for club is a definite slap at the, Hey, Jose, you know, he needs some service to score and you need to have wingers actually leave your half. Yeah, that's true. But um I don't know if you've noticed this, but what um it seems like for me it felt like De Bruyne is playing on a completely different level to everyone else in that team. Some of the passes that he's making, you know, and and this is the the some of the issues I have with 
uh, stats. I do love stats. I'm, I'm a huge stats guy, but I, I love the stats being in perspective. If you, if you, you know, if you just blanketly look at uh, De Bruyne's passes and you say, oh, he's completed so many passes, missed so many passes or pass completion rates or whatever, quite a few of those are sort of, if you guys had read what I was thinking, this would have been a great, like, through ball or yeah. a great pass or, you know, a great move. Whereas um, maybe at, at City, he, he's afforded a bit more of, of that. I'm, I'm, I'm still yet to see him link up as much with um, Eden Hazard. So it will be keen to see if he's on his wavelength. One would assume he is. But uh, in terms of in terms of Lukaku, I've seen a few times where De Bruyne sort of looked at him like, how, how did you not see that part? This, this was what I was intending. Yeah, no, I, I've noticed that too. I mean, De Bruyne, the only time I've really seen him like really hit um, each one of them with a devastating pass, it ended in a goal. You have that outside of the foot dink that he plays to Lukaku where Lukaku heads mm-hmm, home, mm-hmm. which is just a gorgeous looking pass in the uh, first game. And then uh, yesterday, that ball that he played just over the top that took out the entire uh, Tunisian defense to, uh, Haz- to Hazard that he scores is just an incredible ball. He- he- his anticipation of just where you should be uh, is-, is just incredible. He's-, he's a joy to watch. I think he's, uh, you know, this- I think this World Cup is being defined mostly by the midfields. And I think he is really, you know, just. Him and Modric have just been up there, just just taking teams out with their passing. It's it's lovely to watch. But uh, let's let's move into some rumors. Uh, let, let's start with Liverpool this week. Uh, so the on again, off again saga of Nabil Fakir to Liverpool has taken yet another turn, where Olas has now uh, named a price of seventy million and said Real is interested. Uh, I think it's a smokescreen to get us to pay seventy million euros. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, I see it the same way. But the interesting thing for me, and and I suppose it it lends towards why I'm so calm about this deal, is that why even if Real Madrid are saying that you know it's a seventy million uh, bid that they're looking to do, and obviously Leon are trying to generate a bidding war, if the player has already said to Leon, you know, I'm going to Liverpool. It doesn't matter, you know, no other team is really going to bid. If I'm Madrid, why would I waste my time putting in a formal bid? You know what I mean? If I know that the player is already set on going to, or has his heart set on leaving to Liverpool. It's sort of, I suppose, the issue that Southampton had um, last uh, last summer in the sense of they didn't want the news to leak that Van Dijk was only going to Liverpool in the hope that other teams would put in a formal bid. But I think in this situation, if... You know, if reports are to be believed that he he only has his heart set on going to Liverpool, you can't really, you know, expect Real Madrid to make a bid in that situation. So I don't see how that will increase the prices. In terms of um, in, in terms of Real Madrid's interest per se, I don't think he's a high profile enough player for Real Madrid. You know, they they've got a new coach. He's going to have to make some sign, you know, some impact signings. Is Nabil Fakir really going to excite Real Madrid fans? You know, Real Madrid fans have a very high standard. And it's not to, you know, say Fakir is a bad player or anything like that. It's just, I would expect more from Real Madrid. Yeah, I mean, he's not a Galactico. That's, that's yeah. really what it comes to. It's If you look at the players Real Madrid signed, uh, realistically, the only play, like, 
the way in which Real Madrid would usually operate this would basically be to now agitate Salah for a move to Real because they know that we just bought a player like, uh, you know, of a Fakir kind of uh, quality. That's what Real Madrid, you know, that's what they do. Same thing that Barcelona do. They they buy, you know, they're trying to buy the best players who are already world-class, which, you know, a guy like Salah is. And that's who they're targeting. They're not targeting the guys before they get to that point because unless you actually have that mentality of I'm the best, you're going to fail at Madrid. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. And you you can see it, it's – you sort of – maybe arrogance is the wrong word, but you sort of have to have a confidence in knowing that, you know, you're coming in and you're going to make a statement. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't see Madrid being interested really. Um, yeah, it's one of those um, – when, when I see it, I'll believe it. Yeah, and I still just think at the end – the, at the end of this summer, Nabil Fakir will be a Liverpool player. Uh, I, I just feel like it's, at this point, I think it's too far down that path it's just, to see any sort of change in that scenario. Especially after the Lanzini injury, I think. Yep, yep. Uh, I'm just, can we, can we talk about the fact that Lanzini was the mystery man for a second? Oh my word. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I got some clarification from, because I, I I had some obviously being having a, a legal background, I had some ethical issues with with that whole situation. You know, um, maybe I can just give context to to what I'm talking about here, in the sense of, um, you know, there there was this whole there's a mystery player that's coming to Liverpool. You know, and and the narrative that was created that it's it's an exciting player. You know, it's it's someone. I think they said that it was mentioned that it's someone we haven't really been linked to. Um, a left-footed player. Uh, uh, basically, they 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 portrayed as though it was the, this world-class player that was coming to Liverpool, and there was this whole buzz and excitement with regards to Liverpool fans as a whole. Now, my issue is, you know, as fans, fans will always jump to the you know to the top of the list if if you say something like that, and I. It's totally understandable to expect fans to, you know, blow it out of proportion and try and pick the biggest names in the world. Fair enough, I understand that. But I think when you've created that sort of narrative to 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 uh, sort of hint that it's this type of caliber of player, the moment you can see, because obviously you could see all over social media and stuff, the type of players that we were now all speculating who it was. The moment you see that, I personally thought then there's a responsibility on those journalists um, or whoever it was in, in the professional, you know, j- journalist world. I felt that they then have, you know, a, a, a moral responsibility to sort of say, you know what, uh, you guys might just need to temper, you know, your expectations a little bit. It's not you, you guys are shooting a bit too high, you know, it, you know, so, and, and, and credit to other people, they've, they've explained that there's not necessarily that, that responsibility in terms of, you know, the fans will always be the fans and you can't, you know, sort of rein every single fan in. Um, it's, it's differing opinions. I understand, I, I ended up understanding where the other people were coming from. But for me personally, I just felt like it's, it, it was just one of those, we've created news and now everyone's gonna, you know, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here by saying it, it's, it's, it seems like a clickbait type of thing to do in the sense of now every single person that's left footed and world class, if you write a story on them, you know that every single Liverpool fan's going to click on it because 
is we're trying to figure out if this is the player, but that that's purely a personal view. Um, I, I don't know how you felt about it, Justin. I was just uh, annoyed to find out that the player was Lanzini because I don't think he's that good. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that was the part that pissed me off. No, but I mean, I, I do think it was clickbaity. It's, oh, there's a mystery player, and it's basically just getting everybody to play a guessing game. It's like, oh, he's left-footed, and he's plays in the Premier League. Well, mm-hmm. now now I'm going to go through YouTube clips of every left-footed player in the Premier League and be <laughs> underwhelmed. Because, I mean, how many great left-footed players are there in the Premier League right now? Not a ton. Mm-hmm. Not a ton, especially attackers. And the unfortunate thing for Lanzini, uh, from my perspective, is he he's a, in a Klopp system, he could work. And, you know, he could p- definitely play a role in a Klopp system. But the difficulty is now you've set an expectation that's way too high for, for the caliber that he is. If if he was coming in sort of under the guise of a squad player, you know, um, he can play in, basically in any of those front four positions, so to speak, loosely, you know, loose term there. But I think he could definitely sort of do a job. But if you're now expecting people to think this is going to be, you know, the savior as, as, as was portrayed, then I, I thought that was a bit unfair on him especially um, because now he's coming in with a certain level of expectation that I wonder if he's going to be able to to match if he had come. Yeah, and someone would sit there and say, like, oh, he's an Argentinian international. Do you watch the Argentine national team play in this tournament? It's not necessarily <laughs> a compliment at the moment. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Sampaioli who was picking him to play there over Paulo Dybala. There, um, I have no idea how Dybala doesn't get any time here. I also have no idea how Mauro Icardi didn't make that squad, but I, I could bitch about the Argentine setup for a while. Um, let's, let's, let's avoid that. Uh, but, you know, Liverpool ha- obviously now are going to play their part to, uh, I guess, you know, mess with Olas in the, in the media as well. Um, and we've seen two, you know, links of, I, I would say dubious quality to, to Liverpool in the press today. Uh, Marcos Asensio and Herving Lozano. Um, Lozano, the Mexican winger who has played very well in the World Cup and is a decent player. And Marco Asensio, who we all know is a very, very, very highly sought after Real Madrid player. Uh, are either of these rumors worth the paper they're printed on? Um, I don't know if they, you know, how, how credible they are. I think it's more just trying to, you know, one plus one equals 753 in their case. It's just one of those situations where obviously there's been issues with the Fakir deal. Okay, who can we now link to Liverpool um, that that plays sort of that similar position or that style, so to speak? Um, in terms of you know the sorry the Mexican player Lanz, Lanzano Lozano is it Herving Lozano Lozano yeah Lozano I I think he's he's been a credit to himself this World Cup. He's played well, but as we said, you can't. I can't then go and say I'm not judging Lovren based on this World Cup and then go and judge a player based on the World Cup. I, <laughs> I, I would probably think that's a bit hypocritical. But in terms of what, what we have seen, he looks a tidy player. He looks like someone that could do a job, as I said, in a Klopp system. But in terms of knowing what exactly he offers over 50 to 60 games in a season, I honestly have no clue. So that, that that would be me trusting the Liverpool scouts that he's the right man for that one. In terms of Asensio, first and foremost, Real Madrid aren't selling Asensio, okay? Um, in, it, he's one of the, it's him, Esco Varane, in terms of the core that is brick that's going to usher the new era. 
uh, once the Ronaldo's, Bales, Benzema's leave, they've got a bracket of incoming players, you know, that those three guys are then going to be at the forefront of that. And if, if you listen to how highly he's rated at Madrid, you know, he, he, why would he leave? Why would you leave Real Madrid if you've basically been told you're, you're going to be the next, you know, focal point of this team? Uh, in terms of saying, you know, maybe game time, I, I think he gets enough game time. Um, he's playing in a, you know, in a team. He gets to learn under the likes of Ronaldo, Modric, Cruz. So in terms of development, even if he was saying, you know, maybe I'm not getting as much games as I'd like. In terms of development, he's getting arguably the best, you know, uh, players in the world to to train under. So that that's also invaluable. In terms of the price as well, I just don't see Liverpool going up to, you know, to paying 180, I think it was quoted, 180 euros for, for Asensio. And then not to mention the wages he's going to demand when he comes in. We've seen what messing up the wage bracket can do for a, a, a team's morale. Look, look at what what has happened at United tentatively with regards to Sanchez coming in, you know, earning, you know, half a mil a week and he's not performing. If you now have Asensio coming in, he's going to want minimum, you know, 200. What does that do to the rest of our squad? What does it do to the Salas, the Firminos? They're going to want new contracts, the money, so to speak. Um, yeah, it, it just seems like an unlikely situation. Uh, just to touch on, sorry, that Argentina point you made. Uh, in terms of Dybala, it was interesting. It was uh, The coach himself was saying, oh, he hasn't learned how to play with Messi. So that was the reason why he's, he's not playing, which I thought was a weird thing to say. And then in terms of Icardi, I think that's more political in terms of the team itself because uh, he, he does uh, rub Messi the wrong way. And it's, it's sort of public knowledge that Messi doesn't really like him. And if Messi doesn't like you, you're not making that Argentina squad. Yeah, no, absolutely. But that's where the, you know, and that's, and that's going to be the problem for Argentina is just the management of mm-hmm. egos is just insane because they have so many of them. But, you know, you go up against Messi, you're going to lose because he's, you know, one of the greatest players of all time and you're just more of a Cardi. A very, yeah. a very nice player, but that's where you're going to lose out. The Dybala not learning how to play with Messi, that's just Sampaoli basically saying, I don't know how to manage. Uh, it's his job to make him learn how to play with Messi. Yeah, I agree. But uh, of the two players that are linked, like Asensio, Asensio, I don't buy for all the reasons that you just listed. I don't, I don't buy that as a fit. I don't buy it as for the wage structure concept. I don't buy it for the financial outlay. Um, and I don't buy it as to making any sense for Asensio, right? Everything that you laid out makes sense. Lozano makes more sense to me, actually, as the type of player we would target. He's young, 22 years old. Uh, he's, you know, he's been decent at PSV. Uh, he was decent in the Mexican League before that. Uh, you know, he's, he's a left-footed attacker. He, he makes sense in the same way that, you know, like, signing, uh, you know, a Shakiri makes sense to me. I wouldn't want to make him a primary target of our, uh, you know, and be like, here's our big signing for the summer. Because, you know, because he's still very, very much an unknown as to what you're going to get out of him. But the potential is there. Um, I get, you know, I get to see a decent amount of the L tree play, partly because of the fact that, uh, you know, in CONCACAF qualifying in the U.S., you know, realistically, you're used to watching the U.S. and Mexico. Um, Lozano's a good player. I, 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 I would, I would take him if he, it was a situation where he's not a marquee signing, but someone to add in the squad and see if he, see how he develops. Uh, I, I, you know, he, he's certainly better than, uh, 
the last player that we would have bought from uh, PSV, Osama Asaidi. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, but uh, here's here's one though. So of the Real Madrid players who don't get playing time, who are young and talented, one we mentioned earlier, Croatian midfielder Mateo Kovacic. I think he'd be perfect for us if we were looking for a Fakir alternative, and I would take him in a heartbeat. The amount of times we've been linked with him, there, Justin. Like, I know, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm, ho- I'm, I'm hoping for for a player like he's a very tidy player, and he's a very technically gifted player. And I think, I, I, I do think he could do a pretty good job for us. And as you've mentioned, he's been rumored to want out. Um, he's not happy with the minutes that he's getting, and I suppose it's understandable for a player like him. I, I don't think anyone was expecting, you know, uh, Zidane to you know, back Casemiro the way he did in the sense of, you know, saying, you know, he basically said to Perez, if if you saw Casemiro, I'm walking out type of thing. And you can see how how that has, you know, benefited Casemiro, benefited Real Madrid. It's given them balance. So it was very difficult to see where exactly Kovacic is expecting to get the minutes. If you're not getting in front of Casemiro, you're not getting in front of Kroos and Modric, and not even that, then you've got the likes of Isco and Asensio who are also sitting next to you on the bench. I mean, they, they, they hold a lot of weight in terms of them being one of the first subs to come on. So it's a difficult situation for him. I, I think it's a good move for him to, to leave, to try look for a club where he can get some minutes. It, if it ends up being Liverpool, like you said, I think it would be a really astute signing for us. Um, it's, it's just for me the fact that we, we, we always link to him, so I don't. I don't know now if it's just the easy link. You know, you do get some recycled stories over the years, so I, I don't even know if we're still interested in him, or you know, if he's still one of those players that we would look at. But if he was available for a decent price, I, I think he could definitely add quite a lot of depth to our squad. Yeah, the part that annoys me is I have a feeling that I know the other side in the Premier League that could really use him and has an outgoing player. Uh, I think he's going to end up as Spurs Dembele replacement. It's going to piss me off. Oh, that's a good shot. Yeah, that's a good shot. Yeah, because I mean, the dribbling skills. The I mean, he's a better passer than Dembele. I don't know. Can don't, they pay his wages? Do Do we know how I much? I don't know. He's on? Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know if they can pay his wages, but he would make perfect sense from a from a profile perspective. I, I'd picture yeah. I'd picture his his wages are probably pretty high because. I mean, that's how Real tra- gets young players in because they, they they can't make the promise of playing time, but they can make the promise of money. Yes, that's true. Yeah, but uh, let, let's move away from uh, Liverpool now because you know, aside from that, there's uh you know the rumors around Allison, which I think we all know at this point he's not coming, and then an Albanian keeper who plays for Napoli. I, I can't pronounce his last name, but I, I also don't know much about him. So unless you know about him, I, I can't really comment on him because I I just don't know him. Well, he's, um, is it the Lazio keeper? Yeah, Sorry. yeah, um, yeah, not yeah, the Lazio. Yeah. He, he seems to be, in terms of sort of the, the young goal, up and coming goalkeepers, you know, you look at the likes of, uh, I suppose a, a lot younger is, um, Lafont. But in terms of the, the younger goalkeepers, the breed of young goalkeepers, he seems to be quite highly rated. But, um, I don't know if, that's the profile we're looking at. Are, are Liverpool looking at another project goalkeeper? If we're looking at a project goalkeeper, I'll just, I, I would just say, let's just stick with Carrius. You know what I mean? Um, rather go big, you know, get a proper established first team goalkeeper or just stick with Carrius. I, 
I don't see how we can we can we can afford to have another project goalkeeper, whether it would work out or not. And then that's a gamble, so to speak. I don't know if we can afford to gamble in that way, sort of the devil you know type thing with Carriers. Um, but in terms of um, his keeping abilities, you know, he, he's one of those keepers that first and foremost, he's a keeper. He's not as, you know, good with his feet as as a Carriers or, you know, an Allison, so to speak. He's very good shot stopper, um, first and foremost keeper. And he he was playing, though, the the... I suppose the the link could come in the sense that he was playing in a Lazio team that did have a bit of attacking flair and he was sort of that last line of defense for them. So he's used to a team that's kept possession and he's been asked to sort of do one or two saves in a game. So from that perspective, I could see how he could fit. But in terms of what Liverpool are trying to do, and um, we're all assuming that Liverpool are trying to go for the title next season, I don't know if he's the keeper you bring in a brand new young keeper to try and go and win the title with that. Unless you're obviously City and you've got the money to fill up all the other positions around him. I think that might be a bit too much pressure to put on him early on. I, I agree. And I, you know what? I think it's ultimately, I think we, we might add a keeper, but I don't think it's going to be potentially someone who's going to be world-class. I could just see Mignolet leaves and either we promote Ward to the backup or we buy someone who's, around Karius's level to compete with him if it's not going to be Allison or Oblock. I hope I'm, I, I hope it's Oblock uh, at this point if Allison's not going to be it, but I just don't see, uh, I just don't see him leaving Atleti and I don't see us paying his release, his release clause. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then, um, on, on towards, sorry, if, if I can just ask, do, do you think he would be willing to stay as the number two, so to speak? I mean, I could imagine he must have been quite irritated with the way this season went. He could have been at Hull. They offered to take him on loan again. We sort of, you know, shut them down and said, no, he's staying. We're going to have three keepers. And he basically, you know, had that one game in the Carlin Cup, whereas he could have had a full season at Huddersfield. Sorry, I don't know if I said Hull or Huddersfield. Huddersfield. He could have had a full, uh, he could have had a full, you know, loan season at Huddersfield with Premier League experience. I thought that would have been way more beneficial. I would think so too. And basically, I mean, I would, I would think that pl- being at, you know, any place where he was going to play, even in the championship, he just needs to play. A, a lot of young players just need to play. Um, uh, but especially a young keeper, uh, you know, he was never going to get minutes in front of, uh, Mignolet at the start of the season. And then once the switch was made to carry he wasn't going to get minutes as well. Um, I also just think that maybe we kept three keepers because of the fact that I don't think we maybe had any confidence in our starting two. Um, so he was just kind of an emergency break glass. Everything else has failed, but yeah, you know, I, I, I guess the reality is I think we still need another keeper. Yes, definitely. Okay. But uh, let, let's, let's move across the park for a second to Everton, um, rumored to be in for, you know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Jack Wilshere. Um, are, is, are these good moves for, if they happen for either one, for any of these players or the club? I think it's more, they're both more good moves for the club itself than for the players. Um, we've, we've seen Loftus Cheek has mentioned, you know, the fact of he, he doesn't want to sit on the Chelsea bench. And I think rightly so. He, he had a very good season at Crystal Paris, barring the injuries that he had. I thought he played well. He's played well both games that he's, uh, you know, played for England. He's a very, you know, tidy player who I think he has a lot to offer, especially for any Premier League team. And I'm just wondering if, uh, I suppose Everton could be a nice, 
uh, I know it's a cruel thing to say, but a nice stepping stone because he probably he pretty much would be guaranteed minutes uh, at Everton, and not not just you know um, rotation minutes. I think he'd be one of their starters. So if he's sort of looking at putting himself in the shop window, I, I think that would be a decent move for him. But I suppose the only problem with that is then he's kind of cancelling any p- potential move to Liverpool, and I don't know how I feel about that. Um, in terms of Jack Wilshere, I think he can pick pretty much any sort of non-top six English club to go to. Uh, injuries aside, he's a very good player. He, he's, he reminds me a lot of a Spanish type technically gifted player and um, I suppose you could see maybe the likes of Fabregas that he's he's trained with and obviously you know the 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 continental system that Arsenal had in their academy you can see that in him um in terms of whether he's a good move for Everton it it it's a good move for them as well I don't think it's necessarily the greatest move for him but if you if you're then looking at, I think from his perspective he should be looking at a team that he thinks will be able to break into that top six. Should one of the traditionally you know named top six teams falls out, there's always one of those teams that's lurking and ready to to pounce. And if he thinks he can do that at Everton and with the project they're doing, they've got a good manager coming in, then definitely he he can go there. But in terms of in terms of them being a major impact, um, I still see Everton finishing below us. So, big shot, I know, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek is a player that I really want um, in Liverpool. I think, he, I think he'd be a good squad player for us, right? Nothing more. I think he's just a good, I think he'd be a good squad player for us. Um, I think he's a, I think he's a good player. He's a, he's, he's, you know, he's a rangy midfielder with, with, with decent technique and a lot of energy. Um, a lot of clubs could use that. Um, and he's got good size, and that's something that we could use as well, too. Um, I, I don't think that there's a hole for us right now in the midfield to take him, because I think that basically we're well-stocked in the type, in the, in the types of areas he'd play in. But, uh, I do, uh, I do like the player. Wilshire, I think, is basically at this point, uh, gonna be the best player on some mediocre sides for the rest of his Premier League career. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it would be good for Everton to probably sign both these players, because they represent improvements in the midfield. And because it's Everton, I now look forward to their unveiling of Charlie Adam instead. <laughs> Although they do have that new uh, director of football, so it, it seems like they're doing stuff this season. Um, I just I don't know if they should, you know, put their hopes too high. It seems like a lot of the time Everton sort of once they've got something like this going, now they're automatically demanding top four. Yeah. I think it will be a building process for them. You know, maybe ch- you know challenge for 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 top six if they can. Try and finish between seventh and eighth, and then build from there. I, um, it just depends how high their you know their ambitions are going to be. Yeah, they just need like something that actually represents a coherent transfer strategy, which is something that they've lacked because yes. it's just been too much of you know we saw it, and we, it was the same thing we saw under Rodgers. You can't just switch you know six guys in, six guys out of your of your core every single year and expect to be successful. Yeah, I, I agree. But but I'm sure um, Marcel Bronze, he's sort of done this kind of thing at PSV, uh, being, you know, one of those where you, you're you a big club, but you're not really a big club. Yeah. Um, so so I'm sure he'll know how to, how to deal with that. The likes of uh, Memphis Depay, Gini Wijnaldum, they all came through 
of his recommendations, you know, to, to, to be brought into PSV. So they've got a guy with capable hands. Now, now it's sort of about just don't mess it up. Let, let him do his job. Um, and I'm, I'm, I've always been one of those people that says, I'm, 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 I don't mind if Everton do well as long as they finish one position below Liverpool or, you know, in a tournament, finish one place lower than Liverpool. Because then it means, you know, it's more revenue, more income for, you know, Liverpool, the city as a whole. It helps the whole city grow. They're very good as a, you know, uh, a club in terms of um, corporate social responsibility in the city of Liverpool. So we have to commend that. Uh, but as long as they don't finish above that, uh, above us, then then I, I don't care what they do. Yeah, no, I, I happen to agree with you, and I, you know, I I know that a lot of fans, a lot of Liverpool supporters, like to joke around about the concept of Everton being, you know, relegated at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, nobody should ever want to see that because that's two amazingly fun days that you get to miss out on. I mean, granted that the second one this year was, I mean, actually this year both of them were drab as shit because, uh, you know, we got allardyced, but. uh you know, you, you always, you know, I always look forward to the times when they're going to come to Anfield and then lose 5-0. Those are fun yeah. for me. But, uh, I guess that brings us to close to the end. But, you know, there's, you know, being the World Cup and, you know, the, the time for always outrageous rumors based on world class players being, you know, moving for way too much money. Obviously, we all know that, uh, that the last year, Kylian Mbappe was, uh, signed in a very, very strange loan deal by PSG. Alone with effectively an option to buy, and now PSG have, you know, some pretty bad FFP uh, obligations to get themselves out of, or some spending obligations to get themselves out of. It's rumored to be about, you know, sixty million euros, which we we covered this last week when we when I asked which player from PSG you'd want. But Mbappe now being linked to the three city, the three sides that can afford everybody: City, United, and Real. Uh. Any, uh, you buy this rumor? Do you, do you think that they're, you know, these sides might actually just try to come in and swoop and, uh, take him up or is it just, uh, you know, more tabloid fodder? Um, I, I think it actually depends a lot more with, uh, as you were mentioning, how much financial trouble and in inverted commas P, PSG are actually in. Um, in terms of, I know they had an investigation that was meant to be going on and then all of a sudden UEFA sort of quashed that investigation. So that sort of didn't give me optimism that, you know, their FFP violations, so to speak, are going to be taken seriously. So in th- from that perspective, then I can see him staying there. Maybe they might be, they'll, they'll work something out with Monaco in terms of how they're going to pay it, um, pay the, the, the transfer fee itself. But in terms of the clubs that are linked, I think, as, as you mentioned, the, uh, these are probably the, the only three clubs, so to speak, that could afford to, to sign him. Um, you could argue to add Barcelona in there, but if you look at their financials at the moment, I don't know if they can afford to, especially after having brought in Coutinho, unless they're planning on selling one of their big players. So yeah, I think Real Madrid, um, Real Madrid are looking and investigating into sort of rebuilding that front three. You know, the, the Benzema, Bale, Cristiano, they're sort of obviously getting a bit older. And you can see they've, they've had tentative looks at Eden Hazard and the likes. And obviously they've got that name on deal. They're trying to, you know, get, get him to eventually come there. Um, so I, I can see maybe if, if Madrid want to take a punt at him, that, that could be a viable option. In terms of Man United, the thing is, Man United always have at least one big signing in that front line. And we can't count Sanchez because I, I, I think they've got a bit more financial muscle than, 
than that even. So United definitely are going to sign someone for that front line. I, I don't see how they don't, especially considering how you know their season went. Now, it just depends who they can get. Um, they've tried getting Griezmann. He sort of turned them down. Um, the player I can see going, maybe Gareth Bale, if Perez eventually decides that, okay, maybe he hasn't reached the potential he was meant to reach at Madrid. But I know Perez is one of the guys at Madrid that is very keen for, for Bale to stay. So the top players, you know, United are running out of actual, you know, the players that they can go and get and fill that sort of marquee forward signing that they like to make. So I can see where that link is. And then in terms of City, I think it's just purely Pep Guardiola is a huge fan of Mbappes. He tried to sign him before he went to PSG. And I'm sure if he becomes available, I think Pep would probably be at the front of the line to try and get him. Yeah, I, I would I would say that Real would probably be the most likely well, most likely destination. Uh, United have just... Their, their attacking signings are always confounding because Sanchez was a player who they seemingly had absolutely no need for. Mm-hmm. And he proved that. Um, I don't see how, I don't see how Jose doesn't ruin Mbappe. And I think you'd be crazy to go anywhere near Jose, although he's only going to have that job for this season because it's, you know, the third season. But, uh, it's just, I, I just think that Real is the one that makes sense. City, City makes no sense. I, I can't see City splashing the cash for him because they already have, you know, Two players who play, you know, they've got already got Bernardo Silva and uh, Leroy Sané who do the same exact thing. So why, yeah. why would they want to, you know, go back to that well? And I uh, just hope he speaks to Martial yeah. before make, trying to make any exactly. move to Man United. Just speak to Martial for not even two minutes, and I'm, I'm sure he'll he'll definitely try and stop that move. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, if that's your countryman. I, I'd, I'd assume that they you know, played together as youth products at Monaco. Like, they probably know each other. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I would assume that he probably would have that conversation. Uh, I just I, I just don't want him to go anywhere near the Premier League, to be perfectly honest, though, unless it's us, which it won't be, because I think I think he is that good, Mbappe, and I, I, I don't want to have to root against him. Yes, definitely. And speaking of Martial, do, do you see him, you know, obviously his agent is sort of, hinted that he wants out. Do you, do you see him going to a Premier League club or you think he's going to be looking to go abroad? I think he's going to be looking to go abroad. Uh, okay. I just, I, I think, you know, you know where? I think he could end up, uh, I, I don't see, Re, I don't see someone like Real taking him, but I could see him doing something like, uh, like Memphis is doing to, uh, repair the, uh, reputation in game time playing for someplace like a Leon or a, a team that really develops youth and getting your footing yeah. back so you can make your next move. Because I think Memphis is going to make another big move in a year or two, because he's playing very well at, at uh, Lyon. And, uh, you know, I, I think it could be back to United once Mourinho leaves or someone will just realize, we have a buyback clause on this guy who's very, very good, and we should take advantage of it. Yeah, I think uh, Memphis sort of fell to the same things, maybe not characteristically, but similar to Zaha, yeah. where he's made that big move a bit too young. But in terms of Memphis, I, I don't know if he had the right people in and around him. Because, I mean, you know, within the first training, uh, the first week of training, he was already pulling up in a, in a, in a brand new Bentley. You know, those type of things, um, you know, demanding the number seven jersey. I, I think it's just unnecessary pressure on yourself. So, I, I, yeah, like you said, it's a good move for him to, you know, it's one step back to sort of be able to make a bigger leap forward. In terms of Martial, 
Um, as you said, probably abroad, abroad will be where he'll be looking. The likes of, you know, Juventus seem like the guys that would sign yeah. someone like him, you know, just to revive him. But, uh, if it was going locally, I don't think United will sell to us. So I'm pretty sure he would end up at Spurs, in my opinion. They need a, a, a forward slash winger, which seems to be what they're going for instead of just an out and out striker to back Harry Kane. So I think he would be an option for them. Yeah. I, I I agree, and uh, as we've as we've just stated, this Senegal have scored. It's our man. Oh no way! Yes, yeah. It looks like he deflected a. I don't know if he just scored that or set it up, but uh, the ball was the ball was put in. Uh, I think it was I think it was Sadio Mane. It is Sadio Mane. Awesome. Yeah, it was uh, you know his typical darting run at the front post, get on the end of it. Nice. And it's goal. funny if you look at if you look at our season in terms of the trajectory of our players. You know, Firmino and Salas obviously started the season really well. You know, um, there were issues for Mane with the injury. He's, you know, people saying he was struggling a bit. He still ended up, you know, with really good numbers for the end of the season. But obviously people still had that perception of he hasn't played well. But it seems like he's timed his season well in terms of getting ready to play for a World Cup. And it seems like he's just riding that into the World Cup, which is which is lovely to see. Yep, absolutely. And I think that brings us to the end of this. Um, so just for everybody to know, Tadima will be taking the, the reins for the next two weeks as, as I will be away. Um, so Tadima, I wish you, I wish you well on the next two weeks and I'll be back with you, uh, you know, the, the, the week after. And, uh, do you got anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, I, I did make a cheap plug halfway through the pod, but I'll just plug it again. Um, if you go to Anfield Index, I did write a, an article last week. It's, the title was obviously quite controversial, well, ba- based on the reactions on social media. The title is Lovren is part of the solution. And if you actually go into the article, it's speaking more to the, you know, physical characteristics of the type of center back I think we should be signing to partner Virgil van Dijk, because I'm not sure two Virgil van Dijks would really be, you know, the, the the best pairing. I think you do need one of those, you know, aggressive front foot defenders, which Lovren is. But I just think if you if you get a player that's a bit of a higher caliber than than Lovren, but with the same characteristics, I think it will work out. And I looked at sort of the first half of the season and the second half of the season where. We did have that pairing of the one ball playing center back and the one sort of bruiser in Matip being the ball player, Lovren being the bruiser. And you could see, you know, as a defensive unit, there's a myth over, you know, Liverpool can't defend. But we weren't really giving away that many chances. It's just the chances we were giving away were, you know, pretty much guaranteed goals. And then you took one of those elements of that defense out and replaced them with a player that plays the same ball playing type of center back, but at a higher level in Van Dyke. And you can see the improvements we've made and the numbers are there in the article in terms of we were still not giving away lots of chances. And even the quality of chances, the few chances we were giving now in the second half of the season were reduced, you know, and teams were barely getting, you know, good chances to score and if ch- any chances at all. Now, I, you know, my argument was if you take that same approach of replacing Matip with a higher caliber Matip, so to speak, I think if we do the same with Lovren, get a higher caliber Lovren, I think the defensive system itself has shown it over this season that it's capable of, you know, being a strong defensive unit. It's just those individual areas that if we can cut them out, I think we could really do something next season. I, I, I happen to agree. 
heavily uh, because basically we saw the improvement over the second half of the season. Uh, it was something like we had a title winning kind of defense for, you know, mm-hmm. from when, from when Van Dyke kind of got his footing in the side to, till the end of the season. Uh, what we weren't particularly leaky and it was nice to see, but there, there always could be an improvement. And I think, uh, you know, being better than teams in both boxes is, is how you win leagues. We're already way better than almost every team in their box. I think if we can do that and do that in our box, that's how we'll, uh, that's how we'll win. But uh, I think that does it for us today. Um, thank you for listening, and to Dewa, thank you for uh, for for co-hosting, and uh, I wish everybody well. Network.